Hello! What's up my true crime homies? How are you? This is The Crime Collection with me, Krista. Hey! Today, we are covering an absolutely insane case that I have never heard of before. Hopefully, you haven't either, so this can be a new experience for both of us. But this is the absolutely insane story of Terry Jo Duperalt, who was the 11-year-old girl stranded at sea. Yes, this is a story of a murder, being stranded at sea, all into one. Absolutely wild. Let's get into it, shall we? So, there are quite a few stories out there of people being stranded at sea. You could say even children being stranded at sea. But what makes this case so insane and why we're going to talk about it today is that this tragedy had to not only endure being stranded at sea for almost four days, but right before that, she had to witness her entire family being murdered. So, from the beginning, Terry's father, Arthur Duperalt, always dreamed of saving enough money to take his family on a cruise ship or, at the very least, out to sea to explore the exotic islands. Arthur, her father, was an ophthalmologist who was obviously paid very well because that's a pretty fancy boy job. And this allowed him to raise enough money by 1961 to take his family out on vacation, which, like we said, is what he always wanted to do. The family was originally from Wisconsin, which is obviously one of the colder states, which makes sense why the family had the desire to go see the exotic places in the warmer climate while, you know, they are living in like a tundra of the United States. Um, can't blame them there. I would love to go on a tropical vacation. Not necessarily on a boat now, like this story, but we'll see. You'll, you'll find out why I say that. The rest of the family, other than Terry and her father, was made up by Terry's mom, who was Jean Duperalt, her brother Brian, who was 14 years old at the time, her sister Renee, who was seven and her father and her. So, the American girl, Terry, was traveling on the luxury yacht named the Bluebell, which was a 60-foot twin-masted sailing catch from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to the Bahamas for the family holiday. The trip was also meant to be a trial run for a round-the-world voyage her father, Dr. Arthur Duperald, had planned for the family. Their destination was the Bahamas, like we said, where they wanted to reach on their nice ship of the Bluebell. And in Fort Lauderdale, they met up with Julian Harvey, who was an old friend of Arthur, and his wife, Dean, who joined them for the cruise. The Duperald family had chartered the boat and Julian was meant to be the captain that would sail the ship because he was known as an experienced skipper. Um, Julian was also a World War II veteran 
So he seemed very trustworthy and also good at sea, so the family trusted him to be the captain for this family. Julian decided to set sail on the 8th of November in 1961 during the nighttime. Although this did seem a bit strange for the Duperalt family, they trusted him anyway and they set sail on the Bluebell. The cruise was going great and everyone was having a great time. Five days had passed and everyone was loving life at sea, especially Arthur who was definitely living his dream. And despite all of this, there was an unsettling sense that something just wasn't okay in the eyes of Terry. Terry Joe spent the first days of the trip snorkeling, spearfishing, and exploring uninhabited islands. That literally sounds like a straight-up dream. You know how cool that would be? It's just discovering islands and just living your, like, 11-year-old life. Oh my gosh, I would literally be in straight heaven. Oh my gosh, that would be so fun. But... This is not fun part. On the fifth night of the voyage is when tragedy struck. It was Sunday, November 12th, and Terry, who was 11, was awoken by, quote, screaming and stamping, end quote, on the deck of the boat. She had heard her brother, Brian, screaming and paralyzed with fear, Terry Joe stayed in her bed for a few minutes before she was able to get up to, and leave her room to see what had happened, which I do not blame her. She's 11. She's going to be terrified. When she finally got up and rushed over, she was met with a horrific scene, best described in her own words. Quote, I ran on top of the deck to see what happened. I saw my mother and brother in a pool of blood. End quote. I can just only imagine what state of shock you would be in as an 11-year-old seeing your siblings and your parents dead. I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine it now at 19, much less any, any age of finding anyone murdered would be absolutely, I don't know, what's worse than traumatizing? Whatever's worse than traumatizing is probably what she's going through. So... She had seen her siblings and parents dead and she was so scared that she ran back into her bed hoping it was all just a bad nightmare. I do not blame her at all. This, I couldn't imagine. Terry decided to go back on the deck to see where her younger sister and her father were and that's when she noticed Harvey walking towards her. She asked what happened and he didn't explain. Instead, he slapped her in the face and told her to go down below the deck. And so she did. Confused and afraid, she sat and waited below deck until she noticed that the water level had begun to rise. She ran above deck to ask Harvey if the boat was sinking. All he said in return was yes. Then Jillian Harvey threw a canoe on the water where he had placed the corpse of his wife and took off, but not before sabotaging the ship to sink. From her theory, Terry thinks that Jillian didn't spare her as he was assured that she would drown along with the sinking ship. She was crying on the lower deck as she saw how the water was flooding the ship. She knew something had to be done 
or otherwise, she would most certainly drown. I cannot imagine how terrifying she must be in this situation of not knowing what to do. Like, at 11 years old, how? Well, I don't even know. Like, you're not even cognizant enough to, like, know what to do. I wouldn't even know what to do. I'd be so scared. I don't... This story just is insane to me. Like, it's almost one of those things where if you watched it in a movie, you'd be like, okay. Yeah, okay. But no. It's true. It's just, I don't know. I'm. It's just insane. So, Terry miraculously remembered that her father showed her a small lifeboat at the back of the ship. So, she got it and embarked on the small lifeboat as she watched the ship sink. Why am I picturing the Titanic movie right now? I'm just picturing, like, the scene of where they're all in the water, like, and everyone's dying around <laughs> Rose, and you, you just watch the, the ship go down, you know? I mean, I guess that makes sense why I'm thinking of it. Like, I don't know. Anyway, moving on. At the time, Terry knew nothing of why her family was murdered, but that she was sure Julian Harvey was the one that did the murder. Terry Joe could not com- comprehend what had happened. Quote, I was old enough to understand that my family had been taken from me, but not old enough to process why Captain Jillian Harvey would kill them and leave me in the middle of the ocean to drown. End quote, is what she told 48 Hours. Which, yeah, no, I get that. Like, if she, if he was able to kill his wife and her whole family, why spare her? Like, I'm glad he did, you know, but I, I have a hard time figuring out the reasoning behind that. I don't, I, yeah, I have no idea, but I'm, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm not complaining that he did. So, the theory was that Arthur had caught Jillian killing Dean, his wife, and so Jillian had no choice but to get rid of all the witnesses Therefore, that was the reasoning behind killing the whole family. And I guess they, like, they don't even know either. They just, I guess, think that he had left Terry to drown. Like, he was like, eh, she'll drown, whatever, and, like, moved on, I guess. I don't know. Isn't, like, murder 101 is you kill all witnesses? But, like I said, I'm not complaining that he left her. I just, I just don't know why. I think that's the universe at work to make sure. But that's just me. Harvey's dinghy was later found by the f- freighter called the Gulf Lion and was brought to a Coast Guard in America. He lied and told the Coast Guard that the yacht had broken down when he was on the dinghy. He explained to the crew that the ship he was on encountered a devastating storm that destroyed the ship and that his wife had died while the other members had drowned at sea. Julian went back to U.S. soil, where he was able to bury his wife. Now, this is where it gets even more fun. Not that this is fun, but, I don't know, interesting, I guess, on the edge of your seats, are are you ready? The story was unfolded by investigators. This is like hopping a little bit into the future. We'll, We'll go back, but this is important to add now. When the story unfolded by investigators, Dean Harvey had had a life insurance worth 
$20,000 and Julian wanted that money. Why is this always, like, the motive behind murders between spouses is always life insurance? Like, that's too sketchy. That happens too often. It's really starting to freak me out. Uh, no, I guess my husband's not allowed to know about my life insurance policy. Um, I would rather not be murdered for that. But anyway, um, so Julian wanted his wife his wife's life insurance policy and he was so desperate that he was willing to kill her as he gained the trust of the Duperalt family who would also assume that it was just an accident. Now moving on to the main character of this story, the amazing Terry Joe Duperalt. 50 years after the incident, Terry Joe, who's now known as Terry Duperalt Fazbender, has finally found the courage to tell her story. Quote, I always believed I was saved for a reason, but it took me 50 years to gain the strength to be able to give other people hope with my story. If just one person goes on to heal from a life tragedy, my journey will have been worth it. End quote. This woman has all the wisdom in the world. Wow. So, going back to when this tragedy struck, this is what happened. She was stranded in the middle of the sea with no food nor water. She was so devastated about her family's death that she didn't see any hope in surviving or encountering a ship that would save her. All she could think about was the sharks at the bottom of the sea waiting to eat her. This is literally my worst nightmare. Oh, Lord. Not a story to be telling during summertime. I'm sorry if you're on your way to the beach. I'm sorry if you're going to the lake on a float. I, I very much apologize in advance. Another problem for Terry was that the hot sun had provoked nausea as she had nothing to cover herself with. Um, so she was dehydrated and with her devastation, her fate was already set. But after 84 hours, almost four days, of being stranded at sea, luck was on her side as a cargo ship discovered her. The Greek cargo ship was controlled by Captain Theo, who could not believe his eyes at first sight. Never in his life had he seen a person stranded at sea. Yeah, I hope not. I hope that's not a common thing that cargo ships are finding. I hope no one's finding random people stranded out at sea. I hope that's not a normal occurrence. So, it was 1961 when a blonde-haired 11-year-old girl was found floating adrift on a small lifeboat in the waters of the Bahamas. The unusual shape of her damaged lifeboat caught the eye of Nikolaos, Nikolaos, Spachidikis, Spachidikis, I'm sorry, he's Greek, I, I may be Italian, but... That's a little, I don't know. But uh, the second officer on board was a Greek freighter ship named Captain Theo. And Nicol Nicolaos had been scanning the waters of the Northwest Providence Channel when he noticed a single speck in the distance, far too small to be a boat, but too big to be a piece of debris. 
He alerted the captain, who set the navigation for the mysterious figure. When they pulled up beside it, they soon discovered a severely dehydrated and badly sunburned young girl by the name of Terry Jo Duberald, floating alone. The girl was quickly rescued by a medical helicopter, as she was obviously very malnourished. After 11 days, Terry re recovered. Meanwhile, as Terry was found alive, Julian Harvey mm, was being interrogated by the authorities. Like we had said, he had told authorities that everyone had died and blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter what he said, though, because when he was told by the authorities that Terry had been found alive, he was obviously shocked. I would pay money to see his face when they're like, oh, well, Terry's alive, so he said, quote, oh my god, end quote, and when he found out about Terry Joe's rescue, after a few moments regaining his composure, he commented on how wonderful the news was, and then he abruptly exited the room, leaving puzzled investigators in his wake, although in his head, he knew that the rest of his life, he would spend behind bars once Terry recovered and confessed to everything. Um, my, my phone just fell. Ignore that. The next day, the manager at the Sandman Hotel in Miami called the police after the maid smelled something very funny in the bathroom of room 17 and couldn't get the door open. As you may have guessed, behind the door was the corpse of Julian Harvey covered in self-inflicted slash wounds to himself. He'd left a note addressed to his friend, James Boozer, who in the note said, quote, I'm a nervous wreck and just can't continue. I'm going out now. I guess I either don't like life or don't know what to do with it, end quote. The message also arranged for the adoption of Harvey's son and requested that his body be buried at sea. So, per his wishes, Julian Harvey was buried at sea, which really actually angers me because that's, I'm gonna guess, where the rest of Terry's family ended up. Like, I don't, I didn't find anywhere about their bodies being brought out of the sea or left in the sea. So, that really bothers me that they're in the same sea together. Unless it's a different sea. I hope to God it's a different sea or else that's some really bad vibes that I don't want to get into. But amazingly enough with Terry's story, the main character of this event, the queen of the night, the survival story of Terry became famous worldwide as she was published on the cover of Life magazine in 1961. How cool is that? That's so cool. In 2010, the story once again attracted attention because that is like one of the craziest stories I've ever heard of murder and survival. It's wild. It deserves all the attention in the world. Also because of her amazing recovery and survival, but it deserves all the attention. She went on to write a book about her traumatic experience called Orphaned on the Ocean. That's a really cool name. Alongside renowned psychologist and survival expert Richard D. Logan in 2010. 
The book offers a very detailed information about the story and especially how Terry was affected by the events that took place in 1961. After two interviews, which her story never deviated, the Coast Guard came to accept Terry Joe's version of the events that night on the Bluebell. In his book on the incident, Richard D. Logan theorized that Harvey had murdered his wife in their cabin on the Bluebell that night, possibly for insurance money, and intended to tell the Duperalts she'd fallen overboard. But she'd put up a fight more than he expected, which alerted Dr. Duperalt, who went to investigate. Harvey then stabbed Duperalt with the knife that Terry Joe would later remember seeing on the deck, then killed Mrs. Duperalt and then Brian. Little Renee most likely drowned, although it has never been clear whether she fell, was thrown overboard, or was forcibly held underwater by Harvey before he dragged her into the lifeboat tied to his dinghy. So, I don't know. Who knows? That's what kind of makes me question on whether or not, like, what happened to them, because they don't even know exactly how they all drowned or how they were murdered. Also, if Renee, the seven-year-old sister, and Terry, the 11-year-old, I wonder if that has anything to do with why they both weren't murdered. Maybe he had, like, a moral compass of, like, not killing little children. Maybe. Oh, shoot. Maybe because, as we just found out, Harvey had a son. So, depending on how young the son was, if he was, like, around that age, that could be why they decided to not kill them maybe i mean i'm not an investigator but i feel like that checks out i feel like that makes some sense but anyway i'm not here to figure this out i'm here to tell you the story um (laughs) but i just i don't know whenever i'm reading this i genuinely just can't wrap my head around having your whole family taken away and then being left in the middle of the ocean to die I mean, I couldn't imagine at any age, but, like, 11? I... I don't even know. Like, that's absolutely unthinkable. Like, the worst nightmare ever. But, in the years following her rescue, Terry Joe, This is crazy, y'all. Absolutely insane. Terry Joe found a love for the ocean and eventually went on to work in water resources and water regulation and zoning. What? I don't know. That's insane. That's like destiny and the universe having some plan. I don't know. If I were her, I would never, ever look at the ocean again and be like, uh, no. Cruise, I think the hell not. I'm going to take my little orphan ass on to the land and the land only. That's just me, though. That takes some straight up bravery and probably a lot of therapy. So, uh, all the power to you, Miss Terry Jo. She said, quote, I went on to protect the water that had protected me as a little girl. Water is life and it is so soothing for me to be on the beach. I find I can think clearly, relax, and feel closer to my lost family. End quote. She said, according to CBS News. Which, I don't know, maybe, I guess that makes sense. 
That's the bravery in that. I I don't think me and my anxiety could ever, could ever, but that's why she's amazing and I am telling her story. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense where we are at in life. And not only is her story inspiring and insane and all of the above, but it actually led to something life-changing for the world. So after her whole terrifying, awful experience, it actually led to change in voting regulations to be seen all over the world. A recommendation was put forward in 1962 to change the color of lifeboats to a bright orange color instead of the white one so that it can be more easily identified. Which is so amazing that, like, not only is her story of survival means so much, but also it's making actual changes that could save hundreds and hundreds of people in the future. So it does kind of like, not make it worth it, not definitely not make it worth it, but like give it some meaning other than someone just surviving and after losing their entire family. Does that make any sense? I don't know, like a, like the universe at least putting some good back into the world, I guess. She says, quote, I'm humbled knowing that my rescue and survival led to something that is followed all over the world, end quote, which I think like summarizes that perfectly like I said she's um a lot better than me so I'm sure she can explain this a lot better than me so I'm gonna let her continue (laughs) uh this is why she's the the main character here Terry Joe received support from all over the world after this story broke and to end this off great she went on to live a full life She fell in love, had children and grandchildren, moved around, and found work where she loved in Wisconsin's Department of Natural Resources as a water management specialist. She says that she found her life's mission protecting bodies of water, which is amazing and magical and the universe being the universe like always. And in the afterword of the book that she co-authored with Logan, called The Orphaned on the Ocean, which is still the coolest name of a book ever. She wrote, quote, what I want to stress to all who read this book is never give up. Always have hope and try to look on the bright side of things. Be positive, be trusting, and try to go with the flow. Have compassion, give of yourself to those in need, and be loving and kind. I believe that what you give comes back to you, end quote. Which, I think we should just leave things up to Terry because she's um, amazing at writing and talking and telling her story and being the best survivor storyteller ever, um, especially at the age of 11, surviving to tell this story and make actual changes throughout the world that will impact pretty much all of us ever in case we're ever in this awful of a situation. We have something to learn from, so... Um, in case you're ever stranded, you are welcome for knowing this story so that hopefully you will survive and be able to tell your story and be like, yeah, uh, I got it from Terry. My girl told me how to survive and I did, but I pray to anything and everything that you believe in 
that I believe in. That. That will never happen to you. (laughs) So, without further ado, I'm so, so happy you made it this far. Thank you for listening and supporting. I always appreciate it more than anything in the world. Thank you so much for listening to the Crime Collection. My name is Krista. Make sure you like and follow and leave a review if you want. Um, follow my Instagram, my Twitter at the Crime Collection. If you want to see updates and images from each case, I always post them on there. And I always post when I'm coming out with a new case every Tuesday. So make sure you check that out. Also, my name's Krista Corson. If you want to find me anywhere else on there, because you know I'm a social media whore. Anyway, thank you for supporting me. Bye, true crime homies.